I'm India and welcome to the second series of the Star to Ripple podcast. This series is proudly sponsored by Cotswold Outdoor, the outdoor experts working to change the fabric of outdoor retailing. And you can find out more about their sustainability mission and services on their website. Now, this podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk that are making ripples in their lives by moving in nature. And I'm here to find out a little bit more about how this connection with movement and nature is having an impact on their mind, body, and the environment too. And I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big, and see what happens from the ripples you create. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. Laura Evans is a professional mermaid. Yes, you heard me right. She goes by the name of the St. Ives Mermaid and can mainly be found in the waters around St. Ives and Cornwall, either doing mermaid appearance wash-ups on the beach or in tidal pools, minus the mermaid tail and any other form of clothing actually, as Laura is a fan of naked wild swimming and with this has become a body confidence advocate too. Laura speaks very honestly about her battle with alcoholism and depression and how the water has helped her heal. All right, so hi, Laura. Welcome to the Start a Ripple podcast. (laughs) Thank you. It's really great to be here. It's lovely having you on and you are talking to me from my favourite place in the world, St Ives Cornwall. (laughs) <laughs> I'm talking to you from my bedroom which is a bit of a mess insane times insane times yes <laughs> yeah. yeah sadly it's we're getting the classic Cornish mizzle today so that's for anyone that doesn't know mizzle is a combination of mist and drizzle yeah yeah but it so, wouldn't be yeah. Cornwall without a bit of mizzle would it it would not and we're just giving the G7 people you know like the taste of how the weather it was beautiful yesterday now it's still beautiful but in a different way so we're just showing them every side of course exactly exactly I mean yeah oh gosh that's a whole new that's very exciting news for Cornwall though isn't it I mean do you feel a bit landlocked now in St Ives because you can't Um, get out I mean I I could say yes but I kind of keep myself landlocked anyway I don't think it's going to change much I mean yes I do get out and about in in the car every now and then but to have to spend a few days staying local yeah but I think that's the beauty of St Ives it's like a little island yeah isn't it it's all and it has its own microclimate and everything so you're kind of when you're there you're there and actually you don't need anything else yeah no it's true yeah so um what I like to start um every episode is with my guest telling them telling us a little bit about yourself Mm -hmm. how you came to where you are today um just looking back at all the ripples in your life really Mm -hmm. so if you could give us a little intro (laughs) oh how long have you got (laughs) (laughs) um so um obviously you've introduced me my name's Laura but I'm sometimes better known as the St. Ives Mermaid. Um, So uh, six years ago now, I basically gave St. Ives their very own mermaid experience. Um, And that's that's what I became known for. Um, At the same time, I started to create my own ripples as an outdoor swimmer, uh, ripples within the body positive movement, ripples within discussing addiction issues. Uh, So, yeah <laughs> there's a there's a, a lot of little ripples going on in my life yeah. but um I would say you know obviously the mer- the mermaid stuff is what kind of kicked everything off about yeah. six years ago so that's that's where I started where I am now is 
just someone still developing and mostly just enjoying the outdoors you know yeah. where that takes me yeah and I mean all, all of us are developing the whole time and mm-hmm. um, now I know that actually similar to me and similar to many of my guests that I get on this podcast you did the London thing for <laughs> yeah. a bit we, yeah. you know many of us have tried that tried to yeah. in that box and yeah. it didn't work for you and it's sort of from from my understanding is is what brought you back to Cornwall and what sort of brought you back to your love for the ocean and then getting into to mermaiding so could yeah. you sort of go back into that story why are you in London for the first in the first place and how you got to the point where you thought I can't do this anymore yeah I mean it's good you're more on the ball than me because I kind of forgot that whole bit of my <laughs> story that's really important um I moved to London for probably a couple of reasons a I fell in love Um, and the woman that I met lived in London. Um, I think I was actively looking for a reason to leave at a time in my mid-twenties when I didn't really know who I was yet, you know, and I thought I'd find it in London, you know, so moving there for a relationship was a really good idea, and I thought the grass was greener, Um, so I, I gave it a go, and I, my relationship lasted a month, (laughs) after I arrived in London and I lasted a grand total of four months I gave it a really good go you know but um I deteriorated very quickly I think it was kind of compounded by a relationship breaking down as well if that hadn't have happened maybe it would have been easier but living in a city which is very alien I'd always enjoyed visiting London but the reality of living there I wasn't quite prepared for um And there were very simple things. I I moved there in the winter and as it got warmer in the spring, I didn't realize how much my body started calling for water when it got hot. And then you're in London with very limited outdoor space and a really big population and no water. So Mm -hmm. I was finishing work, hot, sweaty, getting on the underground and there was nowhere for me to go. And I had this crushing claustrophobia and anxiety in in the city and I just was not prepared for how powerful that experience would be that how um sort of built in to my DNA being by the sea was you know had you always lived in St Ives before yeah all your life all my life I mean I did move to the big city of Cornwall for a bit I lived in Truro for (laughs) four or five years so but you know still still within what a five to eight mile drive from the sea you know if if needs be and that's not to say I was an active outdoor swimmer I wasn't but I think I took for granted being near open spaces Mm. and being able to just get to the sea it's something about seeing that horizon Mm. I think yeah you're right it's that ongoingness whereas obviously in London you know there are there is the Thames mm-hmm. if you mm. if you wish <laughs> um there's plenty of sort of lakes and stuff but it's it's definitely not the same as seeing that horizon of of, of nothing nothingness yeah. but everything at the same time and I can totally relate to the fact that it just you just don't get that in a busy city where you can't just take a walk sit on the beach and just take that breather and breathe you realize it is it is and you don't realize what you've got until it's gone no no you don't yeah absolutely I was just clueless you know and it was that classic case of 
not knowing who you were or what made you happy. So as challenging as it was and as, as much as it, you know, made me quite poorly, I don't regret it for a single second because if I hadn't done it, A, I wouldn't be where I am now and B, I could just be still wondering who I am and what it is that I'm passionate mm. about and I'm not in that position anymore. Mm. So I'm truly grateful for that experience. Um, you know, I, I left very, very, very suddenly. And as I said, I deteriorated my mental health and as a result, my physical health deteriorated very quickly in London um, because when I'm anxious, I struggle to eat. So I didn't have, um, I was essentially anorexic because I just couldn't put food in me. I survived on alcohol and cigarettes. That, mm -hmm. that was an anxiety. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what you had going. sugar, you had nicotine keeping you yeah. like going, yeah. but yeah. not actually functioning in a healthy, in a yeah. healthy state. But not thank goodness that you, you realize that, you know, at a, you know, it took you four months, obviously, but you realized that and you knew the action that you needed to take. And yeah, I think actually, I don't think I knew. I think I just knew that I only had one place to go and that was home and home was St. Ives. I remember being on the phone to my mum and it was the day before my 28th birthday and she just said, come home, just come home. And it was, it was stay or go back to St. Ives and I did not know which one was right. There was the stubborn side of me that just wanted to stick it out in London to see if it got better but I just knew I was gonna end up with I lived with people where there was a lot of drugs and I could see where it could go potentially but I just didn't want I felt like a failure if I gave up on London that and that you know but thankfully I decided to drive home uh the day before my 28th and within a couple of days I was driving back up with a van and getting all my stuff and basically just saying okay I'm starting all over again mm. you know, and that was I didn't know where I was going to do I I was put on antidepressants for the first time in my life I was still very anxious but the moment I wasn't in the city anymore I at least felt I could breathe again a little mm. bit I had the space to think about getting better and, and I think the the irony behind that is is that I know that I've sort of felt this when I moved to London I felt like I needed to go to the big wide world the big city but actually that's where I felt the smallest and the irony is is in my small town mm -hmm. and, and I, <laughs> I don't live where I grew up now but I live in a small town now by the coast that's where I feel the biggest even though mm. in my mid-20s I thought it was the opposite you know small yeah. town life well that's um you know that creates barriers and everything mm. like that but actually it, it's the polar opposite well mm. that's what I found as well as well yeah and yeah no I'm completely with you on that I, I just think I, I feel the biggest where I am now because my heart is genuinely just so full of mm. people and the outdoors and doing the things I love mm -hmm. I am and going nourished back to probably what you were doing as a child mm. you know if you were mm. brought up in Cornwall there were you know days on the beaches rock climbing you know around the coastline just enjoying that outdoors and that actually that is what who you are the true <laughs> the true Laura and yeah. you just had to find find that but it is good to do something that did doesn't work because you realize that that wasn't for you you'll never have that 
wondering thought oh maybe I should have done that um so obviously you moved back to Cornwall and you hadn't started mermaiding no had you before this no. but it was it was a very quick progression within right. I moved back in the April I had my tail by October so six months okay. Had basically... you seen it seen it done before, or did you have this random idea I could be a mermaid? <laughs> no, it it was completely plucked out of the air. Um, I knew you could buy mermaid tails because uh-huh. I'd looked it up randomly years ago. So I knew there was an industry in America where silicone tails were made, custom made, to fit your measurements. I knew I I knew that existed, um, but I didn't know there was a whole kind of career built around mermaiding or people doing it for entertainment or performance I didn't know that existed um what happened for me was one particular evening I was paddleboarding back into St Ives Harbour with my friend and it was high tide so we were just coming in past the piers and the sun was setting over Portmere and the town was just bathed in that like that beautiful rich golden orange delicious light and there were people and kids milling about on the piers. And I just had this really vivid image pop into my mind of a mermaid swimming into the harbour, like how bonkers that would be. Um, and this light bulb just kind of went, I could do that if I wanted to. I, you know, I could, I could be a mermaid. <laughs> and that, that was it. I, I looked whether the same people were still producing tales. And I think within a month, I, I had ordered my very first tale. And my grand plan at the time was just to swim into the harbour unannounced every now and then. Just, just, just for the as, fun of it. Just for the fun and the joy of it. That was it. That yeah. was my plan. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and from doing a little bit of research on you, yeah. I understand yeah. that your first public swim as a mermaid was in February. Yeah. Can, can we talk about this? <laughs> like, the coldest month of the year probably for the sea um and yeah you did yeah. it in February yeah I know well actually the first time I swam in the t- in the tail in the sea was November so okay. that's getting a bit chilly that wasn't too bad yeah. and then I did a very spontaneous swim on New Year's Day in 2016 and then I did my first official planned I'm going to announce this on social media swim okay. in February half term when I knew that there'd be kids around okay um, yes. no I didn't know that is a complete lie I didn't announce it because it was still when I was doing it my plan was to do it as a surprise so I literally just swam across the harbour and the water was so churned up and oh. you know what the water in St. Ives is like it's yeah. normally so clear and I was diving under and like the visibility disappeared after oh about my. a foot it was so hilarious and I'm, rain freeze uh, as well that comes with that time of year yeah. and I'm guessing you did you just have a bikini top on yeah 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 so yeah. you but were you sort of fueled with adrenaline at the same time yeah I think definitely definitely adrenaline a bit of performance anxiety mm. you know because it was I'm just doing something completely bonkers and random like yeah. <laughs> you know so and and then yeah I, I didn't get much of a response to that appearance you know there it was a, a murky day I I didn't really know what to expect a few photos circulated online like wasn't expecting to spot a mermaid in St. Ives today. Um, and that was that. Um, it wasn't until my Easter, um, Easter holiday appearance, and it was a beautiful day. 
and I intended I did announce this one I thought I will give people some notice and I hadn't planned it but halfway through the appearance I thought I'm just going to swim up on the beach so people can have photos it's a lovely day it's sunny great opportunity for people to grab a photo and say hi and it was off the back of that that it became when people shared the photos on social media and, and kind of discussed the you know the appearance and what had happened people were like how did we miss this when is this happening again you know and it, then that was what people wanted they mm. wanted a mermaid to wash up on the beach and that is how my traditional appearances my wash-ups as I call them mm. started in 2016 mm-hmm. um so yeah <laughs> amazing and <laughs> how one. obviously you know your first public performance followed only a few months after you, your return to Cornwall from London where you you know have said that you were suffering with anxiety mm. how did that make you feel did you feel at that point that your anxiety was lifting already and, and did the mermaiding kind of accelerate that uh, was there a correlation between doing more mermaiding and the kind of benefits on your mental health yeah I, I mean what I always say is and what is the truth is that being in the water is what benefits my mental health mm-hmm. dressing as a mermaid having a tail it's just a different way of experiencing the water so being a mermaid necessarily doesn't help my mental health you know I I don't I don't believe I'm a mermaid you know it's <laughs> it's but is it a lot of fun to wear a tail that makes you swim really fast and just gives you this beautiful experience of the water yes so I think I I got really really caught up in doing this exciting thing but at the same time I think I neglected some of the issues that I'd come back from London with one of them being alcohol addiction I wasn't dealing with that I was ignoring it and so as much as I was doing something that was great for me I was also neglecting myself and those I think those two things at some point you know would and did come to a head you know Mm -hmm. a bit further down the line um so I would I think I was just moving very very quickly in a direction that was good for me but perhaps, you know, not the way that I should have been. Mm, yeah, yeah, I guess the connection to the water was what you needed. Mm. And it just happened that mermaiding came amongst that. And I guess in a way could have covered up yeah. the alcohol addiction a little bit. Yeah. Because, you, Absolutely. you know, you had all this, this shiny thing that you could just put everyone yeah. else's focus on rather yeah. than look at me shiny pretty let's hide all the darkness underneath the yeah. bed as soon as you're this glittering mermaid that everyone adores oh my god you just want to hide that part of yourself mm-hmm. because I mean the stigma with alcohol addiction is terrible anyway mm. um and that's why it's really important for me nowadays to talk about it but it's it, sadly as much as it was a wonderful thing that I loved doing it pushed a lot of those issues deeper which Mm -hmm. was quite destructive you know for me as an individual and made me hide it even more deeply so there were there were two things happening for years which was the the mermaid stuff taking off and me getting gradually more poorly with alcohol just like two trajectories (laughs) going Mm. completely away from each other it was a very very exciting and terrifying time like yeah yeah (laughs) Did you feel like two very different sort of people then in, 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 in that time that you could sort of put on one hat and be 
happy, sparkly Laura in as a mermaid, and then in the you know in the evening you could be some someone very different yeah absolutely and I think it just became harder to distinguish between those people there became less and less of a gap and things just became you know very murky you know Mm. just before I got sober so yeah no you're absolutely right it was I was you know just trying to be the person that I wanted to be and trying to rather than deal with hide another aspect of my of who I am mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. trying and what, to just shut what it behind was it the door. then that made you realize okay I need to I need to sort this alcohol addiction out um I I was really really poorly I mean I don't I do use the term alcoholic on social media it took me a long time to be comfortable saying that word out loud because of the shame that I felt about you know the issue that I have and the way it can be perceived um I was just very, very, very poorly to the point that I was alcohol dependent, you know, and when you're in that state, you either recover or the likelihood is that you will deteriorate and die. And you don't know how long that will take. It could take years, but I am so grateful that I was only in that place for a very short period of time before I hit what is famously known as rock bottom. And I heard a beautiful thing the other day about rock bottom is it is the most terrifying place you will ever reach, but it gives you a firm base to push back up from. And it was just like, God, that is so true. It is so true. So I mean, that will be uh, three years ago next month that mm-hmm. I got sober. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, it was a, a hell of a journey um and about a year before I got sober there were many attempts um but then in the the June and July before when I finally did stop drinking they they were the most challenging times and that's Mm -hmm. when I was really poorly and yeah then came rock bottom and thankfully there was just one day where my brain I could not cope anymore and it was I either survived or I'm not going to be here anymore. It was that simple. And when you're faced with that choice, there's either a survivor in you or there isn't. And I'm so grateful that there was a survivor. Mm. You know, Mm. I'm just, uh, yeah, I will never forget that day for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful it happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, now now I'm here, you know, I'm here and and sober and healthy and well yeah it's it's tremendous amazing absolutely incredible and it did work during that time and you were working it all out and you you said you hit that rock bottom were you still doing these performances or had you had to leave that behind for a little bit I I was too poorly to even leave the house for about a month a month and a half um so no I I wasn't capable of doing any appearances at that time which was great great relief really Mm. you know it was it was the springtime so it wasn't really an expectation but had I ever needed a drink before an appearance before yes Mm. you know it's it's like someone might take a shot of whiskey before going on stage or a shot of brandy or whatever Mm. whatever your tonic is you know so I remember doing my first proper appearance in my sobriety and actually facing the the nerves stone cold sober and it was such a rewarding experience like Mm. you know I've I've firmly stepped outside of my comfort zone within my sobriety and it was it was great (laughs) but until then I'd always needed something to take the edge off and was there a different sort of connection with the water 
being totally stone cold sober doing it um I was more connected yeah because when you're drinking you're you're not you so Mm. you're not fully connected and although I know I loved it my my ability to make connections not only with myself and with nature and with people that only developed when within my sobriety Mm. you know Mm. so my connection with the water now and with the outdoors is deeper and much more profound than it was before I knew it was important but I couldn't have anticipated how very important Mm -hmm. it was going to become to me and I imagine moving through the water with your mermaid fin on it must create a very very organic way of moving through the water Mm. that's quite don't know what words to to use I don't use the word feral but it's that kind of (laughs) idea being a creature it is yeah it's you know when I say you're experiencing the water in a very unique way because you're very streamlined Mm -hmm. um and you've got the propulsion from the monofin so it really the speed you're going and especially when you've got a really good deep patch of sea it is so incredible it just feels like you're flying through the water Mm. like it is a truly truly amazing experience to be able to swim that fast and just to you know feel the water flowing over you it's Mm. it's it's beautiful it really Mm -hmm. really is I think it's that connection with obviously it's it's different in some ways but similar in in others sports like surfing where you have to be so connected with Mm. the water in and the energy and everything and you have to become at one with it and I can imagine Mm. that's that feeling you have when you're mermaiding and I and I guess it's very different to just swimming you know with swimming there's a there's a lot of I guess forced energy within it isn't there and I suppose with swimming I mean you're potentially treating it as exercise Mm -hmm. um or you know it depends how you come to something you know we all come to things differently um I come to mermaiding from a place of joy so when I do swim in my tail it is just for this sheer fun and to Mm -hmm. experience the water and like you say it's it's all about reading the water Mm-hmm. as well and I think that I, I the time that I do feel most connected to the water and the it is actually when I swim naked which is yes. you know <laughs> that's that is my favorite thing in the world you know sorry mermaid tail you know yeah. I, I love being nude in water it's it's the most tremendous feeling and that is just when I feel utterly connected to the my favorite favorite element yeah and when when did you start doing this like when did you start going I just need to take all my clothes off and jump in this tidal pool um I think I when I first started taking my own underwater photographs I just spontaneously did attempted some naked shots and I had skinny dips before Mm. and it just reminded me how beautiful water feels when you're nude um and I then just just felt more really really comfortable mm-hmm. you know being naked in water and just when when the opportunity arose that would just be my preference you know if, mm-hmm. I, if I was in a quiet place mm-hmm. because any sort of material is just a bit of a barrier to you connecting with that element to connecting with with nature you know fully immersing um 
is is what you can achieve when when you get a nude especially when you swim underwater as well like it's it's just such an incredible sensory experience yeah. so yeah i'm you know very evangelical <laughs> about it and would encourage anyone to try it but a lot of that comes in you know ties in with the the body confidence element is a lot of yeah. people are comfortable getting naked yeah yeah and actually what's quite interesting about that is if you're getting you know naked by yourself or with with a friend or partner or anything in a in a private sort of rock or cove where there's some water there's no mirrors there's no anything mm. you, it's that feeling of having no judgment I imagine which yeah. can be so liberating yeah yeah and the water doesn't care what shape no, or size you are or no. if you've got hairy legs or yeah. pubic hair or whether your hair is greasy or you've got cellulite that nature of water doesn't care <laughs> yeah yeah and you just no. feel totally your, yourself in that in that moment mm. do you because I've so every summer we always do a sort of big camper van trip and we we all we me and my partner we always like to find waterfalls or little places that we can go for a skinny dip and yeah. that's like our we always like to make sure we kind of get that in but there's always this anxiety in me that oh goodness someone's going to come around the corner <laughs> how do you find that switching switching off to that or do you just don't care if someone around, comes around the corner I think I just don't care I've just reached I've just reached that point I mean I choose my places wisely because ultimately I don't want to offend anyone or make anyone else uncomfortable so a lot of the places I swim it's very unlikely that someone will come around the corner there's a few spots where I'll be in and maybe up to 100 meters away people can see me from either the coast path and could probably tell that I'm naked people don't care in general and ultimately people are either like oh I bet that's wonderful or oh I wish I was doing that as well because you know especially outdoorsy people they just tend to be pretty liberal and, mm -hmm. and fun and and light-hearted and just understand that it's it's a very beautiful way of en enjoying swimming mm -hmm. you know and and that's it so I I just really really don't care anymore yeah. and I, I'm not 100% sure how I got there because it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm 100% comfortable in my body all the time but I'm very comfortable getting my kit off for a swim when I'm outdoors mm -hmm. no problem mm -hmm. has no it always problem. been like that or have you have you gone for a journey to get to that point I think I the first few times I did it I was really nervous but then the payoff is so worth the nerves. So the more you do it, the less, the, the more irrelevant the, the nerves become mm -hmm. um, about doing it. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I wish I could say there was some big journey I went on, but I just think, again, I, I'm a huge advocate for stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, and, and that's what I did the first few times I did it. And nothing terrible happened and it was a beautiful experience so mm -hmm. I just carried on doing, doing it doing yeah. yeah yeah and has that helped with your you know sort of just general feeling confident in your body in society because obviously when you're hidden in nature that you can have a whole new different kind of confidence but when you go mm. out on the street or you know everyone sort of looks themselves in the mirror or photos it's just the culture that we're living we, yeah. we're a very judgmental culture more yeah. on ourselves than what other people are doing has that helped in that respect as well 
yeah definitely I mean one of the biggest things for me was going back to the mermaiding wasn't I I've really really struggled with my body historically and I do struggle now but I have a very different mindset I would say I have a healthy mindset but I'm not free of of worry or you know body shaming myself but I just have a better mindset and what really changed that for me was when I do the mermaid appearances obviously there are so many cameras which meant I was seeing so many photos of myself that were taken when I'm in the middle of saying something or from a really an angle that I wouldn't have chosen and to have all that control taken away about how I chose to be photographed I saw myself in, in like every possible bad photo I could ever see myself I have seen and and every bad way that I could see my body I've seen it photographed that way and I just think I'm a bit desensitized now I've seen my body in all those different ways and what was really interesting is I was expecting people to be saying oh my god she looks like a beached whale look at all those rolls but that was never what anyone said what people said was what an amazing experience isn't this wonderful no one was talking about my body you know mm -hmm. and I was just like oh this 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 it this isn't what my life has to be about mm -hmm. I think it has to be about what I'm doing mm -hmm. and how I'm enjoying myself and that sort of kick-started me thinking about why I was being so hard on my body and so I think yes now part of swimming naked is an expression of joy and a celebration for for my body you know doing something that feels so fabulous for it um and just 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 giving it a gift and setting it yeah. free <laughs> yeah but I think it's interesting you say you sort of saw your body in every bad bill yeah but actually why is why you know what we're preconceived to think that seeing a certain angle is a bad angle but it's yeah. not it's body yeah. is a body yeah and, and that's just angle. what it is it's and a bad angle because it's the one that I wouldn't have chosen you know when yeah. selfies first started it was the take it from above so now we're, we're like we're all conditioned to think that's mm. the ideal angle so anything below that is like oh god forbid you see chin or that you've just got an extra bit of me or you know it, it's just yeah we're, we're so deeply conditioned mm. to think certain ways and that is something that I'm really working on rejecting and stepping away from nowadays um but it was when I first started doing the mermaiding it, it was a really vulnerable time for me in my body but again the stepping out of my comfort zone has ultimately been very rewarding for me on that journey so and it's that whole thing that you know Brene Brown she talks about this a lot but vulnerability and courage can seem like the polar opposites but actually you can't have one without the mm. other and in order to feel courageous, you have to experience vulnerability. You can't mm -hmm. just be courageous. You have to have broken that down and felt that vulnerability to come around and feel that courage. And that is, I think you're a shining example of that. Yeah. And I think actually kind of everyone in the outdoor community is an, a shining example of that. Definitely. There's something about people who get outdoors 
they are willing to be vulnerable because that's the outdoors makes you vulnerable it strips you mm. back whether you whether you want to try and control it or not it will it will and therefore like like you say you can't have one without the other so outdoors people are vulnerable and courageous yeah. that is my experience and yeah. that's what it has given me it's taught me the deepest vulnerability but that I am also courageous yeah. you know yeah. so it, it's it's yeah get outdoors yeah, yeah. And speaking of that sort of vulnerability within nature you obviously find these quite secluded places to swim and these tidal pools mm -hmm. has has there ever been that element of feeling vulnerable because nature has got the better view in terms of weather has turned or the tides have come in or gone out too quickly or something where you've gone oh hang on a moment I feel a little bit bit small compared to this big wide natural world that's mm. you know engulfing me right now yeah I um I would say that I'm I use my instincts. I feel very in tune with the water and with with nature. And I do genuinely feel like sometimes the sea or even the water is telling me not to get into it. And whether that's just deep down in my subconscious, that's just my natural warning bell going, this is not right today. So I listen to that. You know, I, I really, really, really do listen to that. Um, I've very fortunately only had one bad experience and that was actually very recently um before I go to any swim spot that's off the beaten track I check the weather and on that particular bit of coast I check the tides and I check the wind so I pretty much know what I'm walking into before I go um the incident that happened a couple of months ago was um I went to a tidal pool there was a bit of a, a shower when we were walking down to it and I just very, I'd been there so many times and I just absentmindedly went a path that I've done many times forgetting how slippery the rocks get down there and uh, how I escaped with just bruising I don't know because I fell about I don't know 10 foot and bounced off about three rocks on the way down and then landed in the sea on a stretch of coast which is renowned for being really really rough but thankfully it was a calm day and a very low tide um and I was also very grateful to be with other people because sometimes I'm not and that is a risk um so it's definitely upped my caution level again and I would mm -hmm. say that I was definitely careful before now I'm hyper vigilant. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it was terrifying. It was a really, really, yeah. really sobering experience. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I like, what often sort of kind of scares some people about the outdoors is is the unpredictability of it. Mm -hmm. But like you say, you know, if you're obviously there are some things that you can't control, but then there are some things that you really can, like checking all of those weather, tides, wind. And also, you know, almost do a little risk assessment in your head yeah. before you're going down. Obviously, you don't want to take the fun out of it as well. No, There's that no. side of things as well. But I think it's, but you, but then it's it's proof that you can just go out and do these things. You know, yeah. you, you've 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 got to if if you feel an urge to do it, even if it doesn't feel like it's in your comfort zone, just 
just go you know mm. you you had this urge to be a mermaid and you yeah. did it that's amazing yeah. <laughs> and that's what like ultimately I would encourage anyone in their life to do just give things a go wander off the path I think we're so conditioned to feel like we need to follow a certain path in life and breaking away from that train of thought mm-hmm. is really hard it's really really hard but you will learn the most about yourself if you genuinely just wander off the path a bit try yeah. something new try something out of your comfort zone it will be the hardest thing you ever do but the most rewarding thing you ever do yeah I you know, completely <laughs> completely can vouch for that um now something that I'm I've experienced in my own life and I'm always fascinated to ask my guests about is the more that I've connected with nature and water and being outdoors the more appreciation I've had for it and mm. wanting to look after it and I know that you've had a lockdown project um oh give me a break that you yeah. started where you started making uh, bags out of old windbreaks yeah. So, so yeah have you found that this this sort of connection then to the environment and wanting to find solutions to you know overcome things like plastic pollution and things like that yeah I think it's very difficult to be a person who enjoys the outdoors and not a be aware of the issues that affect our environment and b it's very difficult not to want to do something about it or play your part. I think it's inescapable. Um, so I, I don't think I was truly that environmentally aware until I started swimming all the time and being by the coast and connecting with that side of the community and charities. Um, and it was just such a real education. Um, so it is very important to me to give back where I can um, and to use my platform for, for to advocate for multiple things. And one of them is, you know, the environment, sustainability. Um, and that I, I never planned on having my own little side hustle, making bags from windbreaks. But I was just wandering through St. Ives last year and I walked up a little side street and someone had just left these three perfectly good windbreaks by the bins just lay on the floor looking really sad I was like oh that's such a still life of the seaside you know just abandoned stuff when it's no longer needed but then again one of those little light bulb moments I thought that is a hell of a lot of fabric there you know it was a 10 pole windbreak and the other two were slightly smaller but I was like "That, that is a lot of fabric what could I do with that and within an hour I'd got it, I'd got them home, I was taking the poles out and I'd started um, just put, throwing together a basic tote bag to see A, if I could sew with that material and how it looked. Um, and yeah, basically, oh, give me a break was born. I started, you know, sourcing recycled uh, thread where I could, just making the process as sustainable and zero waste as possible. So that's why I keep my designs really simple so that when I'm cutting, they're mostly straight lines and I don't have any wastage from um, the windbreak fabric. Um, so it's it's been a really, really great way for me to get involved with being a sustainable maker and connecting with other people who do that as well and see what other people are doing. It's, mm. it's so exciting and so needed. Oh, yeah. so so yeah. needed and to think what would have happened to those windbreaks otherwise they would have just ended up in landfill or the sea or yeah. goodness knows what so I know. To, to give them another life is, yeah. is brilliant and I think people are looking at that now when they're going to if you're going to buy a new 
beach bag then why not get one made from a beach break that's you know got a great story to it as well exactly it makes people think twice as well because I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed about the climate crisis and think I can't do anything because I'd have to change so much and I'm really passionate about encouraging people to just make the changes that they can it will make a difference because there is kind of a very uh, hard approach which is we must all change everything and you're not going to get everyone on board you're just not so if you can just start a conversation and get people to change just Sorry, my water bottle just fell over then. I was like, ah. If you can get people to just change one thing that they do on a daily basis, if it's getting a travel cup, that is something. And that's a great place to start. So, yeah, Mm. it's been amazing to start having those conversations with people. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. So my final question to you, (laughs) big question that I ask everybody is, Laura, looking back at the ripples you've made in your life, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned keeping your mind and body healthy um so sobriety is the very foundation of how I am able to live the way I do and the way I live is with joy and with freedom and with honesty and it is the most valuable thing to me um phrase the question for me again (laughs) so looking back at the ripples you've made in your life what the biggest lessons you've learned keeping your mind and body healthy uh my keeping my mind and body healthy is also about connecting with people and encouraging people to be themselves and embrace who they are um i try and do that every day of my life and i love to see other people living their own truth even if it's different to mine I love seeing people being passionate about what they do and being themselves and that is just something I I I love I love trying to help or even inspire people to do um and I love getting people in the water and getting people to step outside their comfort zones mm. and, and try something new, whether that's coming for a skinny dip with me and having a really swimming and having a deep in-depth conversation about body image um, or whether it's simply swimming in the sea for the very first time. You know, it, it, we all face challenges vary for each one of us, you know, and I just like to support people to step outside their comfort zones. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're doing that, you're living, breathing proof of that. So thank you for everything that you do. It's thank incredible. <laughs> and um, and if, if anyone wants to sort of follow your journey and see your, you know, mermaiding and everything, how, how's the best way to find you? Um, so I'm, I am at St. Ives Mermaid across all social media, Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter. I don't have TikTok. I'm not cool enough. No, I'm not cool <laughs> enough for TikTok. <laughs> either too yeah. old for that yeah <laughs> um yeah that's great and, and do give laura a follow because the stuff that you put up is it the, the underwater imagery that you put oh, up no. oh, <gasps> we didn't even talk about it did we it's, it's so funny <laughs> it's amazing though it's amazing oh, it's like you take I you take you take it. the view into a different world yeah it's i mean and it's true like i feel my most authentic self when i'm in the water i feel every element of my personality and who i am which is the the joyous person, the creative person, the adventurous person. And then I take all that and think 
what can I do underwater? And it's just like the best playground and then yeah. capturing an image of it. You know, yeah. it's just it's it's just bonkers fun. I yeah, love it. Exactly. That's what life needs yeah. to be about. Bonkers fun. Bonkers fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Laura. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Start a Ripple podcast. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe and write a review. It helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is via Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.